Hello and welcome to the VIP pod. I'm Emma, one of your hosts. In this series, we meet a range of people who are visually impaired. We're hoping to raise awareness of people who've got many different sight conditions, all whilst having a great conversation and having a bit of a laugh too. Hi there, this is Rupert from the VIP pod team. Just to let you know, as with all our interviews in this series, it was recorded online remotely, so the sound quality may vary. In this week's episode, Emma talks to B. Price, who, whilst being one of our oldest guests, talks at length about her condition of Charles Bonnet syndrome. B. lives with her son, who she mentions during our interview. You may not have heard of Charles Bonnet syndrome, but B. has made it her mission to educate both the sighted and blind community about the condition. much for doing the VIP pod. Tell me about growing up. Where did you grow up, Bee? I grew up in Hertfordshire in a little village um, in between St Albans and Radlett in Hertfordshire. I was born in Radlett and then we moved into the little village called Park Street and so um, that's where I went to school and and it was the wartime so I was six when the war actually started but all the excitement of all the things were going on and I, I had little snapshots of, of things that were happening like bits of aeroplane were being uh, ferried down the Watling Street as it was um, and it was they were being camouflaged uh, by, by big uh, bits of tarpaulin and, mm. and uh, bits of uh, you know army lorries were going down and, and t- towards the actual beginning of the war there were tanks as well and uh, we had this old man with a steamroller repairing the road and he was lovely he used to give me cigarette cards and ah. I could smell if I if I th- remember him I can remember the smell of the package of cigarette cards which was absolutely wonderful and uh, and they were beautiful the cards you know very very beautifully produced. So you stayed in Hertfordshire for the war did you? Yes, I was, and I'm, in that time I moved four times, um, school four, four times. We had evacuees in the school where I, I went, uh, the village school, and then my mother took me out of the village school and sent me into a private school in, mm. in, in St Albans. It's a very beautiful Georgian house, and I was there for uh, two or three years, and that's what maybe decided wanted to teach while I was there. <laughs> That's another long story. How old are you, if you don't mind me telling everyone how old you are? No, not at all. No, I'm 87. Okay, wow. Good going. <laughs> so you worked as a teacher? Yes, I, I decided I wanted to teach when I was nine years old because um, this funny school, which was very Dickensian, in, in character, the teachers would say, come and, uh, who would like to take the kindergarten today? And it was extremely boring. I did nothing really there except run errands um, for, for, the, for the teacher, for the head teachers. And, and so um, I, I used to volunteer to take the, the, the little ones, you know, the kindergarten. And I, I just decided I just loved it, mm. loved doing that. So it, it set me on the road to teaching. And, and tell me about your teaching career then. 
well, I did. I went from juniors to back to to infantry very briefly. Uh, one member of the staff, uh, husband, had had a stroke. He was only very young, and she disappeared to look after him, and we never saw her again. So um, that was quite an event. That was in in uh, Luton, okay. and, uh, and then I went to worked in uh, secondary schools, and I was asked to see if I could. Uh, support some children who had learning uh, difficulties they hadn't reached their potential uh, yeah. and some of them were, were thought to be quite bright so I, I, I had about eight children of different ages from eight to 12 year olds to see if I could uh, send them back to where they should should have been but there were all sorts of emotional upsets with those particular yeah. groups of children and I found it fascinating to do that and then the head of that school, who was a, a very dynamic character, he he asked me if I'd stay um, and work with his 13, 14 year olds who couldn't read. Mm. So I did that, and, and then I drifted back into um, to primary and to kid, into the infants, uh, which I had thought wouldn't be at all fun because they didn't know in, know enough. But I found the teaching of developmental writing and, you know, answering their letters and things was just such fun. Yeah. And they, 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 they would be very straight with me. You know, they would say, when I used to go in as a governor, they would say things like, um, you're very old, aren't, uh, you're very old, aren't you? <laughs> and, I would say, and I would say, yes, absolutely. And we'd laugh about it, you know. And this is what was so lovely about them. So, B, tell me a little bit about your eyesight. Yet I, I didn't really have any troubles much until, well, it wasn't really a trouble. It's what m most people have. I was about 50, say 55, before I started needing reading glasses. I gradually uh, started to, to lose sight. I had a very dear uncle who was blind. And, okay. Uh, and uh, he was he had glaucoma and i was then diagnosed with glaucoma um and you know, he, he was such a wonderful soul he came to stay with us and he had very poor sight and so he he, he gave me great joy he taught me how to lift up stones and see what <laughs> was underneath and take whatever was underneath and put it in his hand and he would tell me about it which was just wow. wonderful um, so I, I had him, so that was the background. And my mother, my mother also, um, I didn't realize at the time there were no names like this. You know, nobody mm. called it glaucoma uh, at all. And so it was just that you couldn't see. Uh, my mother also had it. And, um, and I used to think, oh, goodness, you know, she's one minute she could see a piece of cotton on the carpet, and the next minute she couldn't see the orb. She'd see a few daisies on the lawn, and then mm. she would say to people, I can't see you. And that's exactly what happened to me years and years later. Uh, and I wished I'd known, I had that wisdom to know that this is what happens when you have this sort of condition. I, I have never stopped learning about coping with um, loss of sight. And I, 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 I haven't, uh, you know, it's been extremely challenging extremely challenging. So what age were you when you did become blind? Well I started this um, 
deterioration and uh, I started having hallucinations which uh, were extraordinary. Um, they couldn't be simulated or anything so uh, nobody could understand and thought I was, you know, because I like telling children's stories perhaps I was just making it up and mm. Tim happened to be hearing me on the phone to a lady I was, I was trying to help. I used to do some counselling of people who um, were going through this and I'm very happy to do it. We just compared notes really. We tried to laugh about some of the things we saw and um, how odd it was. And once he overheard me saying we were talking about going through all these gardens, beautiful gardens. These were hallucinations, not dreams. And we mm. were sharing with each other what it was like to have them. And uh, we were saying you know, all these beautifully cut lawns and beautifully um, trimmed trees and so on. And we both said at the same time, but no flowers. And he thought it was amazing because, uh, you know, we'd passed all these beautiful pergolas and ornaments and so on, cut garden sculptures, you name it, and immaculate lords and every every sort of thing. Uh, but we both said at the same time there were no flowers. It put the, the kibosh on that one that I wasn't just making it up. I wasn't just imagining it all is quite different from dreams, totally different and very scary. I wouldn't wish anybody to go through it really because mm. most of them completely take you over and be scary and there are a few that are funny. So, um, you know, I, I had a chance to look at all of them and I managed to get involved in the research in London at King's um, and I was so interested in how they came about and the fact that I would never imagine some of the things I saw for a hundred years. I got, I got so involved with the research that I wanted to go on and find out more about Charles Bonnet, which I did. Who is Charles Bonnet? He was a Swiss writer, he was a philosopher, and he, he just happened that he, he had a grandfather who he absolutely adored. He was in his 90s, this old man, and he told his um, grandson that he was uh, seeing very strange things. He was seeing um, late ladies, you know, it, this was um, 1700s, so through, say mm. 1750, something like that. And uh, he was seeing um, these ladies with upturned tables on their heads uh, going through his room. And he was seeing coaches with horses being pulled by horses also going through his room and uh, the, his grandson uh, knew that he you know he was a bright man uh, mm. always very very articulate very clever man and so he uh, started telling other people about his grandfather and saying you know people that knew him people that didn't know him and and they all really signed up almost a paper to say you know in our opinion that uh, this old gentleman was perfectly bright and and mm. uh, you know and at the same time this this uh, swiss philosopher and writer was interested in nature he was the one that thought up photosynthesis you know i just got thoroughly interested in in the whole thing really and i'm very very thrilled to be able to joining the research. Tim took me up because I lived too far away from London for them to send people to see me. So I went up and, and 
they were doing research about hallucinations and, yeah. and, and that there were three lots of people who had hallucinations that the people uh, that were like me who had um, Charles Bonnet and there mm. were people who had dementia uh, people who had Parkinson's so just three lots of people and so uh, we all we all had to do the same questions and exactly the same and that that was just fascinating and and different researchers took off bits that they found interesting you know their research was interesting uh, they found they peeled off bits that they wanted they published all the findings and and they will check through and it was discovered that you know that still people don't realize that there are thousands hundreds of thousands of people who have Charles Bonnet who don't know that right. they have Charles Bonnet this is the big thing and this is why I'm so keen on talk support because at least we can talk we can't see very well we can't always hear very well but we can talk let's just go back to when you had your first hallucination then when was that and when did you first realize that wasn't real the first time i really realized it was when i was shopping i was um i was shopping with a friend we went into a supermarket and by then all my glasses were really no good um mm. you know they weren't working properly and i was i was seeing um, you know, lights were flashing and it felt like I was in the shop. It felt like the shelves were just being covered with um, with mud, really, like a mud. It was trickling down over the shelves and, and um, I could see all these like little mirrors, very beautiful little mirrors, all captured in the mud falling down. The thing that was so horrible was that the shelves were really almost collapsing under this weight of mud like pretty mud tried very hard to put the thing that i had taken off the shelf back mm. i couldn't put it back you know i i knew where I ta i'd taken it and i thought it was because i'd had some very strong coffee for for breakfast we used to go for breakfast and then do the shopping and and i thought it was the effect of the coffee that had done that and so so that was rather horrible and and then after that you know I just had loads of as I said horrible ones that I would never imagine I would have. Yeah is it quite scary then? Oh yes yes can be very scary let me tell you a little sequence not in any order but one of them was um, I could be sitting in my sitting room and I would be eating and suddenly um, I, I found that there was a piece of carpet on my food and, mm. and, and I was just taking, I was lifting, I, very seriously lifting up this piece of carpet and scraping out the food and eating it. Mm. You know, it was just something that was happening that was very weird. And then on another occasion, I was just looking at somebody's back. There was a, like a lump appeared, which was obviously like a cheekbone. And, um, and then a, an eye was above it. And, and then the eye popped open. And instead of an eye being there, there was just all this green mold. Oh. 
and then it was gone. It was gone in a flash, and I only saw that one, fortunately, a couple of times. Almost like Alice in Wonderland or like Salvador Dali-esque kind of creations. And is this every night? No, no, not at all. Everything has to come together. There is anxiety of some sort. You know, you might be worried about somebody in your family or something happening or you're not sleeping well or you're not feeling well. So there has to be like a, a build-up of ingredients. Mm. And if one of those ingredients isn't there, it doesn't happen. You know, there has to be um, a, a right number of, of things happening to, to, in order for this to take place. And sometimes you could go months without Certainly not all, every day and all day, by any manner of means. And, and, and when when they last, you think it's lasted hours, and it's only obviously lasted a few seconds, really. But it seems if you have them in a day, I, I, the longest I've ever had them on, on a trot is eight days. And those eight days nearly drove me spare because one of them, the last one of the last ones I had, there was a man outside my door, um, and he he was perfectly short back and size, respectable looking gent with a t-shirt, you know, over a jumper, and I knew he wasn't there really, and absolutely knew he wasn't there, but I had to go through him to go downstairs, so that was horrible. I ended up nearly falling down the stairs, very frightened. I got to the mm. bottom of the stairs, I got into my sitting room and and it's it's not a slow process of just slowly everything changes it's like change 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 do you go out at all now b do you go out and about well i do yes it's so difficult to explain really i don't go out that much because um if you can't see anything you know if you i, I see i see no color no shape no shadow nothing so it is a huge lot of fun to be honest to go out it's very nice to feel the feel the sun on me i can't see it at all if tim puts our lights on here if you turn them on i can't i can stare at them for ages and i i can't see them at all you know it is a huge pleasure for me to go out i can't step outside in the garden without somebody being there because i can't see where i'm going um, right. I can't step out of the front door. There isn't a lot of point, really. Nice that you've got Tim around for you there as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, I have lots of gadgets, you know, and I treasure them. Do you? What do you use? I, I use um, the Amazon. Um, if I say anything too much, she's there. I have a, a lovely book club, Calibre Books, which is fantastic. So I read a, a huge amount. I've, I absorb books like, like nobody's business, really. Right. But, uh, yes, I have loads. I, you know, I read every sort of thing, you know, crime and uh, I love Dickens. I've read um, lots of Dickens, thoroughly enjoyed them, actually. Uh, and uh, Pickwick Papers, which took a long time, several days, really. I enjoy the language of Dickens and so on, Wilkie Collins and um, Pat Barker. Mm. What books do you love then? So it's all the Dickens stuff, and does that take you back to childhood? How does that make you feel? No, I didn't. I didn't read them in my childhood. When I was about nine, we had a teacher who read Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, and so uh, my husband loved Winnie the Pooh, and he used to read it very beautifully. So Aww. this teacher came, and she read us some um, 
and the three hostages. Um, that was a thriller writer, Graham Greene, um, and uh, I've read all those. Um, and I've just read a huge amount of stuff and gets absorbed, and I, I form, they form their own shape and their own colours. <laughs> I tend to read them very late at night. I go to bed. I have one in my bedroom, and although I can turn it off and pick it up any time, if I get interested, I can be reading it till two, three in the morning. Mm. I still don't want to put it down. I, I have lots of entertainment gadgets and things. I used to have you know, gadgets too in the kitchen, but to say I'm not allowed in the kitchen anymore. Oh, you not? No. Well, no, because I would just be dangerous, really. Tim was in there once, and uh, he he took a you know one of the trays out to move it, and I, he didn't know I was behind him, and he he swung round with it, and it just caught the corner of my eye, which was a very dangerous situation to be in. So. I was forbidden. I thought, oh, well, I'll go and do the washing up, but that was absolutely chaos as well. How many years ago did you become so black blind? It's like a different thing, is it? Yes, uh, that's, that's only really t about two two years. Okay, okay, yeah. The rest of it, you know, I was very, but not as bad as that. And, and I could have had some surgery. Um, the, the consultant I went to was reluctant because it meant my ear drug was was blocked and it would have meant cutting it would have, which would have been very ugly and he didn't want to do it i have a job to open my eyes very often in the morning i have to really pull them open so yeah. um they they get very sticky uh, and uh, he, he thought he would cut my eyelid well he would have done that because he, he wasn't wouldn't have been able to do but i would have had it cut and then it would have been like pinned back which also would have looked rather dreadful because it, it came too low over my eye. And he said he said that if I had gone to him with the glaucoma, not knowing that I had it, then I would have been able to have had surgery. And, uh, you know, I was just too late going, really. And so it, I was beyond help. The other thing that has concerned me very much, really, is that many doctors have never heard of Charles Bonnet they don't know what it is, uh, they don't know anything about it. Even people who are, you know, consultants and people um, who, uh, uh, they're not really interested in, in what people see. All they're interested in is the state of your retina. That's all they care about. If I went and, and said, I hope you're telling people that they may see strange things and so on, uh, and, and help them to understand that this is a perfectly it's an eye thing, it's not a mind thing, it's an eye condition, and that lots of people can have it. Some, some of them are very young. With your Charles Bonnet, like you've said about some of the most scary times, but are there any funny, comical kind of times having a Charles Bonnet? We had a friend come to have coffee with a lady I didn't know very well. I used to go to her house. We used to do craft things together, spinning type things yeah. together. And uh, she came and Tim was there and very sweetly he'd, he'd make coffee and he'd put it on the coffee table. I was uh, like here and they were over there and they had their coffee. He'd put some uh, biscuits on one side of, the, of one of them. And to my horror, they suddenly, as they were reaching over to get their biscuit, their heads came out of their sockets and ah. they had like these huge swan necks which came down and, and <laughs> helped themselves to 
a biscuit and then uh, and then just slid back again and then the very next day another lady came and a similar thing happened but they're more comical so you you know it's charles bonnet i absolutely knew i know that people who have this but uh, don't know are very very scared um, i've i've talked to people that have been totally absorbed by it and totally devastated what do you think the best thing to someone who's actually gone blind? What would you say? What's the best bit of advice you could give? I would say just face it, really. It's like, you know, there was a lovely story that we used to tell the children. I used to tell the children at school. They used to love it. If you face up to something, it's like if you face a party or something you don't want to go to, if you go, you know, you often don't want to go, but if you go and go through it, it's better than you thought. And it's the same with this story, was if you face the dragon, you face the, the problem, and, and, and it's often much more than you think it is. I remember saying again to the children that, uh, you know, it was like St. George, you know, he, he went and killed a dragon um, because he'd faced up to it. He didn't he didn't run away and hide. He just faced it up to it, and then it wasn't so big. And I've I've been able to make people laugh. Fortunately, mm. I, it it can mean that I can make people see the absurdity of it, but not to make fun of them. So, have you helped lots of people who've had Charles Bonnet? Yes, I have a, a group of people that I periodically uh, call up. And recently one has had dementia, so she is mm. in a home now. And so I call her husband occasionally to see how he's getting on without her and to know how she is. I've been into drop-in centres. Salvation Army invited me and I it was such a privilege to go in and see yeah. the work that these people do. One lady, I told her a bit about Charles Bonnet, and they said the first time they'd seen this lady smile in years because um. I said I thought that you know this is probably what she had and thousands of people have this and they don't know they've got it but how many people have charles bonnet syndrome that's known well thousands absolutely thousands i think and this is a sad thing you know it's getting worse it's going to be i think there's going to be a, a pandemic of misery and fright and mm. and, and terror uh, uh, people who have this sort of condition as well as all the virus fear now they've you can hear it in their voices. You know, I talk to blind people now all over the country in different um, areas of the country and, and you can hear the, the fright, really. You can hear the, the fear that's there when people don't feel they have a voice anymore. They don't feel that people are listening yeah. or they have any have any a place or they don't have any role anymore. Um, I, th I think it's a very, very sad state of affairs. So, B, do you think through all your years of everything that you've been through, do you think your hallucinations reflect from when you were younger to, to where you are now? I have a very, very good memory for past things. I don't, I have an absolutely atrocious memory for the present, you know, for, I'm really dreadful to remember somebody's name. But my long-term memory is such that I can remember. And you were married. Tell me about who you were married to. I was married to a physicist. He he was a very bright man. He did a lot of work on robotics and um, artificial intelligence. He worked for a, a very big company and he took out lots of patents. So 
Did he know about you, Charles Bonnet? Oh, no, no, no. That was after he had died. Uh, he died just before I was 60. We shared the same birthday. Uh, that was very hard when he died. And uh, he died just before we were both he was 62 and I would have been 60 and so I've lived all these years without him and, and I know the feeling of loss when you're with a crowd of people you can sometimes feel very lonely it just depends what mood you're in doesn't it pictures come into your mind whether you're lonely or whether you're you're happy you're helping lots of other people be who are in the same situation which is I think is amazing to try to understand what other people are going through this talking bit which is so special being able to help very tricky situations can i just say to you i just want to give you a big hug thank you so much for sharing your story it's incredible it's been a privilege thank you oh thank you so much lovely to chat to you and i'm sure we'll be in touch in the future thanks b thank you so much for listening please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Feel free to get in touch with the team by emailing thevippod at gmail.com.